Well, you've uh, actually you've heard me say this quite a lot uh, the last few weeks, but we're we're going to take another little break uh, from the Book of Matthew, and we're going to look at some other things this morning. Uh, VBS just it gets me thinking every year that we do it. I love the excitement that my kids come home with. Um, I don't love the fact that we we do VBS at night, and so they're so excited when they get home. It's usually about eleven o'clock before the lights finally go out and they're finally asleep. I'm not a huge fan of that part. But I love the fact that they're excited about what's going on at church. They're excited about the things that they're hearing. They're excited about the things that they're learning. Uh, I asked my uh, going into fourth grade daughter, Olivia, what her favorite part was, and without hesitation, it was snack. And actually, I asked quite a few kids, and that was their favorite part without hesitation. Now, my son, my six-year-old, he's already learning from his dad. Because I asked him what his favorite part was, and he said art and craft. Because that's what his mother taught. And he added that part, because I like my teacher. And see, now, if you could have seen the look on my wife's face, and you know that she would never say no to him now for at least a week. So he's, he's learned how to play things, definitely. But one of the things that I love is the fact that when kids come to VBS, they hear the gospel. And they hear Bible stories. And it's fun to hear my kids come home and tell me the stories that they've heard. Tell me what it is from the Bible that they're learning. And VBS has come a long way. If you're my age or older and you went to VBS as a kid, you went to vacation Bible school as a kid, you know that as far as the presentation, it's a lot different. When I was a kid, we were lucky if the multimedia presentation included flannel graph. We were lucky. You know, you'd sit there and you'd wait for the teacher to put up all the different characters on the flannel graph board and stick them up there. And there were always random characters that didn't belong because they couldn't find the right ones that went with the story. And so they just put random stuff up there. If you were really lucky as a kid, the teacher would let you help. Now, I was the pastor's kid, so the teacher let me help quite a bit. But you got to put things up there on the board. And now they, they don't need flannel graph anymore. Now they've got videos, and they've got PowerPoints, and they've got the wow factor, I think, of VBS has certainly uh, gone up just a bit from when I was a kid. But this week, the kids learned stories from the book of John, and the same stories that captivated me as a child. It's fun to hear my kids get excited about it. It's fun to see that they're captivated by those stories as well. And I know their kids someday will be captivated by those stories as well, because the presentation of it may change. And who knows, by the time I've got grandkids and they're going to VBS, I'm sure they'll have holograms and they may even take a space shuttle somewhere. To see. I mean, it'll be totally different. That's all going to change. But the message doesn't. And the stories don't. And what I've seen happen, though, as we grow old, as we become adults, I've seen that grown-ups tend to lose that sense of awe and wonder that you see in these kids as they hear the story. Some of them hearing these stories for the first time. And even as adults, we can tend to move away from taking these stories literally or even believing that they happened or believing that they're relevant in some way to our lives today. And so this morning, I want to actually give an introduction. You guys are going to have to remember this for a couple months, okay? Because I'm going to give an introduction for a series that we're going to do later in the fall. Because I want to take a look at these stories that we grew up as kids hearing, these flannel graph stories, and I want to look at them again through the eyes of adults. 
and try to recapture some of that, uh, the wonder that we felt as a child and try to point out those ways that these stories, they're not just kids' stories. These are stories that absolutely impact and affect our lives today. And so we're going to just look at a couple things that I want to make sure uh, that you know when it comes to these stories. I remember as a kid going down to children's church, and when I was a kid, children's church I think was a fairly new thing. A lot of churches, the kids just sat uh, in the sanctuary, and that's, that's what you did. And I, I can remember doing that as well. I can remember my mom, uh, we were allowed to draw pictures, but it had to be something that my dad was preaching. We had to draw a picture that went along with, uh, with the sermon that he was preaching. But I remember finally they had kids' church, and we got to go downstairs. And I remember going into the basement of this tiny little church in Kenmore, New York, and I don't remember the teachers. I don't really remember but maybe one or two names of kids that I was down there with. But I remember those stories. I remember the stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the story of David and Goliath, and the story of creation, and the fall of man, and Adam and Eve's first sin, and Jonah and the whale, and of course, Noah's ark. And I remember as a kid just being in absolute awe of this God that made all this happen, that, that really was the central player in all of these stories. God allowed these men and women to survive giants and floods and fire and lions, being swallowed by a fish and more. These are some of the most amazing stories that we've ever heard. And again, as a parent now, I love to hear my kids' reaction to these stories. We have a bedtime routine, which I'm sure any of you with little kids probably have the exact same thing. When it's bedtime, they have to go in, they get their jammies on, they go and brush their teeth. And any parent knows you don't just then take them and just lay them in bed and walk out and say goodnight. It's story time. And I remember Will, even when he was really, really little, before he could really talk a lot, if you tried to get away with, even if you saw he was really tired, you just tried to get away with laying him down and walking out, he would point at that bookshelf. And he would say words that kind of sounded like book a little bit. But he would just say it over and over and over. And if, he, and if you didn't look like you were responding to that, the pitch got higher and higher. And he looked like he was about to cry because they wanted that story. But Olivia and I always kind of had a special routine. Olivia's a little bit different. Again, we've got four kids. Obviously, I adore all four of my kids. My two big ones are here. Kate's been gone all summer. It's kind of nice to have them. The whole family is together for the first time in a long time. But Kate, we waited a long time, or Liv, sorry. Kate, we didn't wait for you at all. I do like you, though. Um, but we waited for Olivia for a long time. And Liv will tell you. She'll tell you, I'm special, Daddy, because you prayed for me for seven years. She knows that. And so I wasn't sure I was going to have another little one. And so when she came along, I was very excited to do those things again with, with baby and with toddler and those things that I thought maybe I was done with. And she and I, we would get done reading a book. And when the book was over, we'd turn off the light, and I'd snuggle down next to her, and she would always ask for another story. But she'd say, she'd touch my mouth and say, from your mouth, Daddy, from your mouth. She didn't want me to read her a story. She wanted me to tell her a story. And so she and I would get to talk about different Bible stories. I would go back to some of those favorite Bible stories of my youth. And I remember telling her the story of David and Goliath. And actually, it was it didn't have a great effect because it wound her up again and she was no longer ready for bed. But she got so excited because I explained to her that David was probably about the size of 
her big brother Ethan at that point. I think Ethan was 12 or 13. David was probably about that size. And then I tried to describe to her what Goliath would have looked like and how big Goliath was. And we started to go through different things, you know, starting with things in the house. Well, was he bigger than the stove? Yeah, he's bigger than the stove. Was he bigger than the fridge? You know, with each one, her eyes are getting bigger, and she, she just can't fathom this idea of a giant being taken out by someone as tiny as her brother. In that moment with her, I think I realized again the power and the wonder and the importance of these great Bible stories. And I realized again that even I was guilty of leaving some of these stories in my childhood. A lot of those great stories of the faith that we tend to think of as those are children's stories. And we don't put a lot of thought into them in our adult years. And so again, as we get into the fall in a couple of months, we're going to start to look at some of these stories and what it is that God wants us to see and what it is that they show us about Him. Okay, so this morning I just want to give you a quick intro, some quick background, kind of a foundation that we're going to build on. And uh, I know you guys are hungry. I know you guys want to get out to the picnic, so we will we'll go through these rather quickly. But the first thing that I want you to know about these Bible stories, and this sounds so simple, and some of you may think I'm insulting your intelligent here, intelligence here, but I want you to know these stories are real. I think that's where we have to start. I've shared with you my, my very first seminary experience. The very first seminary class I ever sat in when I was 22 years old, and the teacher drew a, t drew a timeline of Old Testament stories and started with creation and began to work through those different stories of the Old Testament and turned around to us, and I don't even remember at this point if it was a he or a she, turned around to us and said, now you know these are all not true. These are just stories for illustrations. And that's when I started packing all my stuff up and went home and told my pregnant wife that even though just six weeks earlier we had packed up all our things, which wasn't a lot back then, and moved to Atlanta, Georgia, that now we were going to pack up all our things again and move back to Syracuse because we didn't have any place else to go. But I remember in that moment, that has shaped how I preach. That shaped some of the assumptions that I make about people because I grew up under a certain kind of teaching. I grew up listening to my dad preach. I know, I know where my dad landed on some of these things and what he thought. He always presented these stories as absolute real and absolute fact. And in my mind, I always assumed that any church, any Christian thought the same thing. And you know, I'm, I'm convinced this professor loved Jesus. And I'm convinced this professor was a Christian. I think this professor was absolutely wrong. But I think it's important that you know, when we talk about these stories, when we look at these men and women of faith, these men and women that God used, that these are real people at real times, in real situations. And you need to know that it's my position. It's the position of the leadership here. It's the position of the Christian Mission Alliance, of which we are now a part. That these stories the Bible presents are absolute facts. Creation. God's speaking things into existence. The creation of Adam and Eve as the first humans. The, the sin of Adam and Eve as the first sin. Noah's Ark. The flood. The parting of the seas that allowed God's nation of Israel to walk through unharmed. David and Goliath. And on and on and on. These are real. They're not fictional. They're not for illustrative purposes alone although they give us great illustrations. 
They're not allegories. They're not parables. They're not just teaching tools. These are historically accurate accounts of the way that God has moved and the way that God has worked in the lives of his people since he thundered those words, let there be light, and he got this whole humanity thing rolling. And so what we're going to look at in the fall, it's going to be some stories that are hard to believe in some cases. We're going to see stories that are totally and completely outside the realm of our experience. And because of that, the temptation can be to simply dismiss them as made up. I was having a conversation with William not that long ago uh, about cell phones. And my kids are six and eight, and they're already begging for cell phones, which is ridiculous because they can have them when they're 30 and they can pay for them. All right. But we're having this talk about cell phones, and I began to describe to him what phones looked like when I was six. The fact that they hung on a wall and the fact that there was a cord that kept you from walking too far. And he just, you could see the wheels turning. He just cannot picture this. This is so completely outside the realm of his experience. His entire life, we've never had a home phone. And then I went a step further. I said, buddy, when daddy was little, our TV only had six channels. And you had to get up and turn the knob to change channels. And in most cases, you had to turn the knob and then adjust the rabbit ears on the top to get anything to show. And again, he's just, you can tell his mind is absolutely being blown. And finally, I asked him what he thought of all that. And he put it very plainly. He said, I think you're lying. That was his response. He had absolutely no context in which to place what I had just told him. What I was describing was so far outside of what he knew as reality, what he had experienced, that he did the logical thing in his mind. He just dismissed it as not being possible, as not being true. And for us, we grow up hearing all sorts of stories. We grew up hearing uh, fairy tales and fables and fantasy stories with a good moral, a good lesson. We grew up hearing about all sorts of make-believe characters and situations that we may believe with all our heart when we're a child. But then we grow up and we grow to understand them for what they truly are. Nice stories with no real roots in reality. We've got to be careful that we don't jump to that same conclusion with the stories of the Bible. Just because they're outside of what we may have experienced, we cannot dismiss them as false. For most of us, it's hard to fathom what God does in those stories. It's hard to fathom a God who can close the mouth of a lion or a God who can speak to someone through a burning bush. We can't wrap our minds around a God that can bring a flood on the entire earth or they can bring someone back from the dead. But we can't dismiss them as simply fairy tales because to do that, absolutely diminishes who God is and who he wants to reveal himself to be to us. I've talked to people that say, well, the New Testament, all those stories are real, but the Old Testament, again, those are just, those are just make-believe stories. But if you look at the witness of the New Testament, the New Testament always presents the Old Testament teaching as fact. Now listen to a couple examples. Here's Jesus in Matthew chapter 12. He says, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. Does that sound like Jesus believed that what the Bible says happened to Jonah happened? Jesus affirms the Old Testament teaching. Then he says this about Noah in Luke chapter 17. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the day of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. Again, Jesus doesn't present this as anything other than historical facts. And in this too, you see a purpose of these Old Testament stories. Both are used uh, to foreshadow, to describe what it's going to be like when Jesus would come. And what it's going to be like when God's plan reaches uh, when the, God's plan reaches uh, where it's heading and has been heading throughout history. Paul jumps on, in on this too in Romans 5.12. He says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone sin. Uh, again, presenting these Old Testament stories as absolute fact. And then the writer of Hebrews gives us probably the best look at how these New Testament writers accepted the teachings of the Old Testament. In Hebrews 11, by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. What more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. There is not an inkling in the entirety of the New Testament that what is taught and presented in the Old Testament is anything other than fact, anything other than real. And so that's where we need to start. As we get into this in a couple months here, and again, I know this is a weird way of doing it, doing an intro a couple months before we actually start the series, but just listening to my kids talk about these stories got me thinking and got me excited. And um, so this is, this is where I landed this week. The second foundational truth about these stories, not only are they real, but they are relevant today. They are relevant today. I have a huge issue with pastors that talk about their responsibility to make Scripture relevant to people. It is not my job to make the Bible relevant to you because God already did that. The Bible is relevant because it's God's Word to His people, not because I as a pastor and a communicator can somehow trick you into thinking that it's relevant. These Old Testament stories are so much more than just really cool stories. These are stories that are absolutely relevant to our lives today. I had a professor when I was at Nyack years ago, and he was getting on in his years. He'd been teaching for a long time. He had actually taught uh, my dad at Nyack. That's how long he had been there. And uh, he was not as sharp mentally, I think, as he had been at one point. And, and he would tell these stories, and he would ramble on. He would go down so many rabbit trails that you never quite could figure out what exactly he was saying. But I remember one class, a girl sitting up front raised her hand in the middle of one of his stories. And we never interrupted his stories because he would take up the entire class. And it was actually, it was nice. You could sleep through them. They weren't going to be on the test. It was great. But I remember her raising her hand and saying, what does this have to do with us today? 
That is not, for those of you that are either in college or going to college at some point, that is not a good way to get on your professor's good side, just so you know. But he couldn't answer. And I remember finally he kind of hemmed and hawed. He goes, ah, really? I guess nothing. There is a lot of history that may be cool stories, but really has no relevance for us today. The Bible is the exception. The history that's presented in the Bible is absolutely relevant to us today because of what we're going to look at next, because of what it reveals to us, because of what it teaches us, because of how it speaks into the ways that we live our lives. Each and every verse, each and every passage of Scripture is important in some way. Each reveals a little bit more about us, each reveals a little bit more about the human condition. Each reveals a little bit more of the picture of God that he wants us to see. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. That is a huge statement that the Bible makes about itself. It says all of it, every last bit, everything contained in its pages is useful and important and relevant, and God can use it to change hearts and to change minds. That means the parts that you find boring, look, I have yet to find someone that gets really excited about Leviticus and Numbers. I just haven't. Those are hard to get through sometimes. But there's importance there. There's relevance there. There's things that can be learned, and there's a reason that God included it in his book to us. And so those ones that we find boring, those parts that we don't understand, those are still relevant. And those stories of old, those stories that we grew up hearing as children, they're there for a reason. And God, in his sovereignty, worked through human authors to record and reveal for us exactly what he wanted us to know. And to teach us exactly what he wants to teach us through these biblical characters that are contained in these narratives, in these stories. And one of the things that has always fascinated me about the Bible, and something that sets it apart from any other form of ancient literature, the heroes that you have in the Bible, the people in these stories, they're not presented as perfect. They're not presented as these, these paragons of virtue that never do anything right. In fact, the people that you see God perform miracles through, the people that you see God do incredibly significant acts through, are some of the most flawed people that have ever walked the earth. The Bible gives us stories of real people, warts and all. Men and women, these, these pillars of Christianity, these pillars of the faith. Men and women that walked and talked with God on a deep and intimate and personal level. That God used to accomplish the impossible, the supernatural, the miraculous. The Bible gives us these characters not as, as airbrushed perfection. They're shown for what they really are. They're shown for who they really are. Why? Because not one of us is perfect. The Bible gives us a picture of people that we can relate to. It's relevant in our lives because we can see ourselves 
in the characters of the Bible. We can see ourselves in the weaknesses. There are men and women like us. They struggle with the things that we struggle with. They fall into some of the sins that we've fallen with, fallen into. And we get to see the glorious hope and the glorious truth that God still uses them and God still works through them and God still loves them and God still uses them to accomplish his purposes here on earth. Real people and real situations, real flaws. Samson was disobedient and had a thing for the ladies. David was a murderer and an adulterer. Abraham, who, who is now known as the pillar of faith. Abraham lied and tried to push God's promise forward in his own strength because he wasn't quite sure that God really meant what he said. Noah got himself drunk and made some very poor choices. Jonah flat out refused to obey God and ran in the opposite direction. The Bible doesn't hide those parts. The Bible doesn't present these heroes as perfect people. In fact, a lot of times it seems like the Bible, the biblical record, is going out of its way to show the flaws of the people that God uses. But you see the same thing in every case. God's strength is perfectly displayed through the weakness of the people that he uses. God can use the small, the least. God can use our failures, our struggles. And those things don't disqualify us from a relationship with God. And they don't disqualify us from being used in powerful ways by Him. You see it in every one of those stories. Our failures, our weaknesses magnify His strength, magnify His success. And our flaws magnify His perfection, His holiness. These stories are real. These stories are relevant and the last thing that we need to understand as we look at these in the near future is that these stories are revelatory. They're revelatory. You've already heard me hit on it a few times now. These stories reveal things. They reveal things about ourselves. They reveal timeless truths. But it goes deeper than that. These are the stories that God uses to reveal himself to us. These are the stories that God uses to reveal his character, to reveal his holiness, to reveal his power, and to reveal his love and his longing for a relationship with those that he's created. I remember watching a kid's show with Olivia when she was little, and it was one of those just obnoxious, ridiculous shows that are all over TV now. But one of the parts of the shows was they would take a picture and they would begin to uncover one little piece of the picture at a time until you could guess what it was. You could see what it was. That's what these stories do for us. These stories, each one, when you peel it off, when you look at the story, when you look at the way that God interacted with the people in the story, you get another piece of the puzzle, another piece of the picture that God wants to reveal to us, the way that God wants to be seen by us. The picture that God wants us to understand. And again, the biggest part is that picture of love, that picture of relationship. In each of these stories, that's what comes shining through. God's love for humanity, God's love for his creation. That beautiful picture of his relational nature. 
what we see in every one of these stories is a God that desires a relationship with his creation. And you can see that thread that connects each of these stories that began with creation is woven all the way through the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. These stories reveal God's plan. These stories reveal God's love. These stories reveal the way that God feels about each and every one of us and his desire for an intimate relationship with us. Thank God that he's given us these stories to hear and to learn from and to tell others. Thank God for things like our children's church where right now those kids are being taught the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those kids are being taught who God is through uh, these stories found in Scripture. For VBS, where the children and adults who serve them can be reminded again of who God is and what His plan is for creation. And so for those of us that are no longer children, don't fall for that temptation as a grown-up to forget about these kid stories of the Bible. They are real, and they are relevant, and they are a revelation of the God that loves you and created you for a relationship with Him. Would you stand as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for this great week that you gave us. We thank you for for all the kids that came through this building. For all the adults and teens that were involved, that gave a ton of their time, not just this week, but with all the events, all the planning, all the decorating, all the things that had to happen to make this week a reality. And Lord, I thank you for the stories. Lord, I thank you that that this week in particular, as they looked through the book of John, they see story after story after story of a relational God, of a God who sent his son to walk with us, to talk with us, to teach us, to lead us, to do the miraculous and the supernatural, to heal, to guide, to teach. Lord, I thank you for these stories. And Lord, I pray for each and every grown-up here in this room. Lord, open our eyes again to the beauty of these stories. Help us to look at them again, not through jaded, grown-up eyes, but with the wonder of a child. With the wonder that comes from trying to wrap our minds around a God that loved us enough to do what you did. A God that loved us enough to handle the sin problem in our lives by sacrificing your son. And Lord, of a Savior that would give himself for us. Because really, that's what all of these stories point to. That's the purpose behind them all. To reveal the great love that you have for your creation, and the plan that you put in place to bring us back into relationship with you. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.